0: Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 12. Pedro Primera de Pedro 1 del 3 al 12. Alabado sea Dios, Padre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, por su gran misericordia nos ha hecho nacer de nuevo mediante la resurrección de Jesucristo para que tengamos una esperanza viva y recibamos una herencia indestructible, incontaminada e inmarchitable. Tal herencia está reservada en el cielo para ustedes, quienes el poder de Dios protege mediante la fe hasta que llegue la salvación que se ha de revelar en los últimos tiempos. Esto es para ustedes motivo de gran alegría, a pesar de que hasta ahora han tenido que sufrir diversas pruebas por un tiempo. El oro, aunque perecedero, se acrisola en el fuego. Así también la fe de ustedes, que vale mucho más que el oro, al ser acrisolada por las pruebas, demostrará que es digna de aprobación, gloria y honor cuando Jesucristo se revele. Ustedes lo aman, a pesar de no haberlo visto, y aunque no lo ven ahora, creen en él y se alegran con un gozo indescriptible y glorioso, pues están obteniendo la meta de su fe, que es su salvación. Los profetas que anunciaron la gracia reservada para ustedes Estudiaron cuidadosamente esta salvación. Querían descubrir a qué tiempo y cuáles circunstancias se refería el Espíritu de Cristo que estaba en ellos cuando testificó de antemano acerca de los sufrimientos de Cristo y de la gloria que vendría después de estos. A ellos se les reveló que no se estaban sirviendo a sí mismos, sino que les servían a ustedes. Hablaban de las cosas que ahora les han anunciado los que les predicaron el evangelio por medio del Espíritu Santo enviado del cielo. Aún los mismos ángeles anhelan contemplar estas cosas. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's welcome Ian.
1: Hey church, can you hear me? Yes, okay, cool. Um, I uh, was telling my wife, Sophia, who's here today, that I had at least two to three dreams where I was running late to service. So I'm just making sure that I'm awake, this is real, this is reality, uh, and that I'm here worshiping with y'all. So this is really great to be here. Um, So uh, it's a pleasure and privilege to be with you this morning, and I'm really excited to kick off this series where we will walk through God's word and to see what it means for Christians to be a distinct community because of God's love, grace, and salvation. But there's a lot to cover just today before we get started. So let me pray, uh, and that we would not rely on our own understanding here as a community, but that God would show us who He is in this passage. So uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, how great it is that you have given us your word that we may know you more. Please work in each of our hearts today so that we would see how wonderful you are. Even those here that do not believe in what you have done and even those who have lost the conviction of your truth, please move in those hearts also. Change us, unite us as a community, and bring us into your love and peace today, our Lord and King. Amen. Now, as Pastor Abe said, I'm the Justice and Neighborhood Manager at Redeemer East Side. but what he, he did not mention, well actually he did mention uh, as a nice little reference, is that one of my favorite interests and passions is, what I think, one of the most invigorating sports in the world, baseball. You could laugh, it's okay, it's fine. Uh, but I think baseball has so many things going for it that aren't in virtually any other sport. You have a, te- a, a game that is both a team game, but also has a showdown, where the batter and the pitcher face off against each other one-on-one. Baseballs are thrown at over, these days, over 100 miles an hour, and home runs can be hit anywhere between 300 feet and over 500 feet, which is longer than any football field. And I believe the time of actual action in baseball is greater than football, but it's okay, you can like football, it's fine. But it's also almost as old as the United States itself. And when you walk through the history of baseball, it takes you through the Civil War, through integration, through 9-11. And each play only adds to the generations here and abroad that have passed on the history and stories of the sport from family to family. And finally, you get those beautiful baseball fields where all of this history takes place. Each park is different than the other. Unlike hockey and basketball, you can actually see outside. And unlike football, many fields are actually cultivated specifically so that you can sit back and enjoy the beauty of the city that you're in and watch the team that that city represents at the same time. From where I was born and raised in San Francisco, from the seats, you can see the palm trees whispering in the wind and the Blue Bay reach out over to Oakland. In Chicago, you can wave to the neighboring apartments that are right across the street from uh, the ballpark as you hear the crack of the bat. And just a few blocks north of here, you can watch the game and see the subway rattling by, caring New Yorkers about their day. But, one of my favorite parts of going to a baseball game is that moment in the ballpark before you even get to the baseball field. You pass through security and depending on how expensive your tickets are. You get a long walk uh, up up the ramp or you go up the elevator and as you pass by the popcorn and the hot dogs, you uh, start to hear the roaring of the crowd. And you can't wait to come out through the tunnel and see that vast green grass spread out ahead of you. And that moment right before that longing That buildup and anticipation of witnessing this history, this beauty of the baseball game is one of my favorite things that God has given us to enjoy. But in our passage today, we are told about another longing, a greater longing, an ultimate eternal and cosmic longing. In verse 13, we are told that the wonderful things God has done for us in our passage today are things which even the angels long to look. And in God's word before us today, the hope in Christ that changes Christian community is so wonderful and beautiful that it even surpasses the beauty of baseball, as much as it pains me to say that sometimes. And this letter we read from today is written to people who have this hope but need to be encouraged because the very nature of how this hope changes people invites persecution in trials. So our passage today answers the question, what is this hope that is so great that it completely changes the way we live as individuals and community? It answers the question, what hope makes the church not just different to be different for difference's sake, but distinct because our hope is the only living hope in Jesus Christ? So this passage answered this question by telling us three things about this hope. First, that it is saving. Second, that it is enduring. And third, that it is everlasting. So in the first part of the passage, we'll see how this hope saves us and how it pushes us to rejoice in our salvation. Second, we'll see how it is not only enduring in and of itself, but it also gives us the ability to endure through suffering and trials. And finally, we see that this hope is everlasting, because God has been working all things in history so that we may receive, enjoy and enjoy this good news. So saving, enduring and everlasting hope. So let's begin with the first point: this hope that is saving. When the early church leader and apostle Peter wrote this letter, it was only around 30 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven after being raised from the dead by God the Father. We learn in this passage that the Christian folks Peter is writing to have already been hearing the good news of Jesus. They have already been hearing of the forgiveness of their sins and of God the Father raising his son from the dead. And not only did they hear about it, but they also believed. And because of their faith, because of their belief and obedience to King Jesus, their allegiances have changed. They no longer saw their Roman government as their primary allegiance. They no longer saw their devotion to bodily pleasure or growth of their earthly treasures as their primary allegiance. And because their allegiances changed as individuals and as a community, They were persecuted and experienced suffering. This likely mixed group of Jews and Gentiles now were being treated poorly because the power structures around them knew that they served another. They knew that their pursuit, and they could see that their pursuit of peace, justice, and love would be obeyed despite the desires and influences of the rulers and people around them. Because their real ruler, these pesky Christians, The real ruler and Lord was Jesus Christ. And so this letter starts off with the hope of Christ, doubling down on the personal and cosmic effect the resurrection of Jesus has done. It sets the foundation for the rest of the letter. If you look in the first few verses of our passage, Peter cannot help but exclaim about the wonder and mercy of God. He cannot help but tell of the joy that this group of early Christians should have because of this hope in Jesus and what God has done in them. Better yet, this is not just some better hope than others. This is the living hope. And we know that this hope is alive because Jesus is alive. They know that because of Jesus' resurrection, they have new life, so much so that, as in the ESV, Peter says that Christians are actually born again. This new birth gives them what Peter calls an inheritance. And this inheritance is not a typical inheritance. This is not just some money that you get when an uncle dies or some sort of real estate that you receive. This inheritance dates back to what God has been promising his people since, as he says in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This inheritance is both God's promise to make all things right on earth and also that believers will dwell with God eternally at the last time when Jesus returns, or as our pastor says, at the the revealing of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew... When Jesus is asked about the resurrection, he doesn't say that this is some new thing that he's doing and the New Testament is bringing up something brand new. He's just doing what God has always said he is going to do. He says that he's consistently, through the Old Testament, identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the, the, the Lord of some dead folk, and that's where they, it's where they uh, have their final status, never to be seen of again. But this God is the God of the living and not of the dead. And so what he's saying is that God's people are truly saved into life everlasting. And so it's no wonder then how Peter describes this inheritance. He says it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Unlike the food that we eat that sometimes can be painfully pleasing to the eye, it does not spoil. Unlike the evil in ourselves and in the world, it cannot be tainted. Unlike our bodies that seek after poisonous pleasure even when we don't want them to, it does not wither away with time. And so can you hear what Peter is saying that why these Christians should rejoice in this? He is saying, Christian, nothing and no one can take away what God has done for you and what he has given you in his mercy. Because God is the king of reality and the way of love and life and Lord of all, if he has commanded that you receive forgiveness and resurrection through faith, so it shall be done. And that is why they can rejoice. And so should anyone who loves and believes in Jesus. So for us today, we then have to ask ourselves, are we accepting this saving joy that God is offering us? Do we see him as merciful and want to taste and see what he has in store for us through faith, belief, and obedience in him? Now, I don't want you to hear something that I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this means you have to put on a happy face every day of your life. This does not mean that you have to choke down tears when a loved one dies. This does not mean you cannot get angry or lament when you witness injustice. This does not mean that you cannot repent sorrowfully when you have wronged your friend, spouse, or loved one. In fact, the Psalms are full of sorrows, that God's servant, David, is giving to the Lord in prayer. What it does mean is that through all of these sufferings, you need not despair. You need not think that your life is over when you lose that job that was finally going good. You need not give up when you long to be married but face rejection after rejection. You also need not feel the pressure to get a boyfriend or girlfriend just because you want people to stop asking you, when are you going to get married, okay? But that is what true joy does. It doesn't eliminate sadness, at least not right now, but joy in Christ allows you to see the reality of Christ's salvation and freedom from enslavement to evil and sadness. It allows you to see that despite your sins, you can repent and are accepted by God. It allows you to see the reality that despite any amount of oppression or suffering you face, through faith in Christ, God has already eternally saved you. This joy is what Christian community should be brimming with because of their saving hope. And that brings us to the second point, that this hope is enduring. So let's walk through how this hope is both enduring through time and space, but also imparts endurance to the one whose hope is in Christ. Now notice how Peter ties these two ideas together. He says that the early choice can rejoice in this hope, even though they're going through all sorts of nonsense. Even though the Roman government is persecuting them, and even though their flesh is telling them to do things that aren't good for them or others, they can still rejoice. Even though these trials are grieving them, this tested faith through trials produces something more precious than gold. So we have to notice two things. One. Christ, as our hope, is not deterred by the trials you are facing. This inheritance that God, it says, is guarding by his power in heaven is not going down because of anything that is dragging you down. Nothing that happens, that happens to the early church, Paul, what Peter is saying to them, is going to cause their hope in Christ to be tainted. It's not going to cause Christ himself to be tainted. And the second thing that I want to draw your attention to is that this suffering is actually making their faith more profound and beautiful. Peter says that it is by the tested genuineness of their faith that will bring praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns. So it means that their hurt and pains for the sake of Christ will bear fruit that will be showcased when Jesus returns. So imagine what this would have been like for these early Christians. They're looking around at a community and a nation and country that has rejected them, and the world around them looks at their loyalty to Jesus and his way of love, justice, and peace, and they find it offensive. Their communities and rulers are so offended and scared that their power is being challenged that they go after them. In fact, not long after this, Peter himself is martyred in Rome by Emperor Nero. But even in the example of Peter, one of the most powerful rulers of the world was terrified of the implications of this Jesus stuff spreading throughout his empire. He was scared that that his way of violence, bigotry, greed, sexual foolishness, and abuse of power was going to be challenged. And he was right, wasn't he? These types of rulers were going after these Christians, and Peter is saying that through all this, the worst thing that can happen to them is that their suffering will still uh, result ultimately in eternal glory. This is why this tested faith is worth more than gold. That's why it's worth more than riches that they can imagine. And so for us Christians today, this means something powerful, and it means something different for every person, so I would encourage you to let God press into your heart with some following questions. For some of you, maybe you have not experienced much suffering because of your faith in Jesus. And so you, you can ask yourself, why is that? I, I personally cannot, cannot know this. So you have to ask yourself the scary question, why has my faith in Jesus been pretty easy? Why can I not relate to this combination of Christianity and suffering? There's a very real possibility, and I'm a guest preacher, so I can, you know, I can say this and then leave, so you can talk to Abe and Justin after this. But there's a very real possibility That if you're living your life and no one, Christian or not Christian, can see that you live differently than any other New Yorker, there might be a problem with the way that you understand following Jesus. Because as Christians, the reason why scripture describes God's people as peculiar is because he, not us, he has got something going on inside of his people. And so that can mean a lot of different things. Maybe it affects the way you relate to politics or money or your kids or for kids, your parents. But whatever it is, this God is someone you can pray to and let him work on your heart to see where maybe you are protecting yourself from discomfort by not trusting and obeying his way of love for you. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we need to go and seek out and have a competition to see who can get persecuted the most, but it is true that if we have hope in Jesus and it's supposed to change us so that we will live counter to the ways of our world and city, then we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us when we are too afraid to face suffering or rejection or isolation. And knowing that we can only face this with faith in him, and it is only through faith in him that our faith will be found to be genuine. Now, for others here in our uh, our community, maybe all you get is persecution. (laughs) Maybe you, you feel like your life is one long string of suffering, rejection, and isolation. Maybe you've had loved ones leave you or isolate you because you use your money differently and so you can't go on that family vacation. Or maybe you have friends dismiss you because they're offended by the way you stand up against racism. Or maybe you stood up for justice in your workplace and now you've either been fired or iced out because people see you as that weird Jesus follower. Well, God has good news for you your labor is not in vain as christians we not only have a future hope that this life is not the end but we have a present hope that the suffering we endure because of our faith in christ will not just produce some thick skin but praise and honor and glory for the king of creation being a christian means that your pain for his sake means something And God will not let that go to waste. As Peter says, even though we do not see Jesus, we love Jesus. We love the king that died for us. Even though we do not now see him, we believe that he will raise us and our fellow Christians from the dead so we can be in fellowship with him so much so that we can't even express our joy. And our joy is filled with glory. We have this hopeful joy because the object of our faith is not a prideful superiority, but that our souls are saved now and forever by the Creator and Lord of creation. And we can have this hope because it is enduring. So that brings us to our third and final point of this passage, that this hope is everlasting. Peter describes how this hope is everlasting, not just at the beginning of this passage where he talks about the imperishableness of it, but he also mentions this in verse 10. He tells the church that this hope in Christ is good news, and that is not something that was made up recently. It also wasn't something that was made up and just randomly found by them on the side of the road. Oh, this, this very nice hope in Christ. I'm so glad that I found it because it was given specifically to and for them from the beginning of time. You see, these prophets that Peter talks about are the Old Testament prophets, which, again, is why the Old Testament is not just an appendices that's nice to read, but God working in and throughout history. And Peter confirms yet again that these prophets have known for hundreds of years of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who would save them. They knew that these things, because the Spirit of Christ was working in them, that not only was he just working in them for good of their own people, but, Peter says to the church, he was working these things not for themselves, but for you. So, church, I want you to hear this personal attention from God. This grace that has flowed through Scripture and history for thousands upon thousands of years was for them. And it was revealed to them from the first time they heard the good news that Jesus had come to save them. This hope is everlasting because, as Peter is saying, God has always intentionally, not randomly, worked his grace. And now this church is being told that it is being worked for them. And that is what we have, church. You and I have access to the same God who promises hope, and endurance to those who repent of their sins and believe in his good news. You and I are given the word of God through faith and are able to have a relationship with the personification of the word that is Jesus Christ. Because of God's mercy, not of anything we have done, we are born again or born to a living hope and are able to reap the inheritance of as Peter says, of the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And that's what these things are in verse 12. These things that in verse 13, Peter says, the angels long to look at it. These things are not just, it's not just that God has caused us to be born again, but that this new birth cannot exist or be seen apart from Christ's death. We see throughout Scripture that this is not something that God has improvised. He has been working in history ever since the creation of the Earth, promising his people that He would make things right no matter the cost, even if it cost him himself. These sufferings of Peter the sufferings of Christ that Peter mentions. We hear them talked a lot about during the Christmas uh, season. If you're in church often, we hear so many scriptures about this suffering servant that God would send to pay the cost that we never could. And if you notice, a lot of them are from the prophet Isaiah and all of these prophets who have never even met Jesus. In the Old Testament, God's people still knew then they could be assured of his promises because of all the ways that God had already saved them and shown him his grace, whether from slavery or giving them the promised land or accepting their repentance when they did evil, even when God was saying, uh, even then, God was saying that if you hope in me, I will not give up on you. And now we see just as the early church saw, that it is not just what God was saying in his word throughout history, but that is what God is saying on the cross. Our hope did not give up on us even through torture and death on the cross. And not only that, because God doesn't stop there, He not only made sure that your own sin and our own sin would not define us at the end of all things, but that the death and evil around us would not be the end of all things by raising Christ from the dead. Because God fulfilled his promises to his people Israel and raised Jesus from the dead, we have a living hope and a living proof that death is not more powerful than God. So as we end today... What is God telling us in his word? God is telling us, Christian, death is no match for me. He is telling you, Christian, that evil in this world is no match for me. And he's also saying, Christian, you are no match for me and the love that I have for you. And that is why the angels long to look into this. This hope that is saving, enduring, and everlasting. And so do you also see why this changes Christian community? And if so, if you see this change and you hunger and thirst for it, do you long to taste and see this hope, this Jesus, this saving, loving Jesus, Do you see him and what he wants for you? And also that he wants you. Please pray with me. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky, we thank you that you have worked all things to save us. We thank you that you have worked all things that we might endure and escape sin and death despite our own weakness. And we thank you that your hope is everlasting, that from generation to generation, your promises and your character never changes. By sending your son, you have given us yet again historical proof, love, and satisfaction that no person or thing is any match for you and your power. O King and Father, Thank you for saving us from perishing, from defilement, and from fading into nothingness. Thank you for loving us and making us your people changed by hope. We pray all these things and even the things we don't even know what to pray for in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank
0: you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church, and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.